monumental show today, Human Events Daily. We are going to talk all about Elon Musk versus the regime, the liberation of Twitter, if they allow it. And we're going to talk about the next development in Frank James, the suspect in the New York City subway attack. Before we do, a couple announcements. What's going on here at Turning Point USA? The Young Women's Leadership Summit coming up June 2nd to 4th, Dallas, Texas. Get your tickets, tpusa.com slash YWLS. Make sure you use promo code POSO. And Socialism Sucks Season 2, Episode 2, China, the world's loan shark. I'm in it. We talk all about the One Belt, One Road initiative. You need to watch this to understand the CCP's moves that swallow the future prosperities of nations in a moment's notice. China, the world's loan shark. Go watch it now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is April 14th, 2022, Anno Domine. Today's top stories. Elon Musk offers to buy Twitter for $41 billion, take it private, and bring free speech to the globe. But will the globalists allow it? Next, the New York subway attack suspect, Frank James arrested on terror-related charges after calling in himself. Third, inside the military's secret undercover army. We're going to break down this new investigation. And finally, a 41-page motion filed in federal court states that federal assets were embedded in the Capitol on January 6th. All of this and more ahead, Human Events Daily. I use my tweets to express myself. Some people use their hair. I use Twitter. Well, but you use your tweeting to, to kind of get back at critics. Rarely. You, have, you kind of have little wars with the press. Twitter is a war zone. If somebody's going to jump in the war zone, it's like, okay, you're in the arena. Let's go. Massive news this morning, and we've got the full backstory for you. So everyone in the world is talking about this. Elon Musk puts in a bid for Twitter, 42 billion with a ba 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 b dollars. Now, people need to understand this doesn't, you know, Twitter is a public company, so this is considered a tender offer. And so, for this to go through, right, Twitter is now required to form an independent committee of the board and go through all of this. They have to do their due diligence. That's what's required of a public company. And keep in mind, that's part of the rules you agree to when you become a, a public company. Whereas Elon, on the other hand, is talking about not just buying it. This is very key because I see a lot of the headlines, even Forbes missed this in their headline, T buying it and taking it private. That's key private control of Twitter. And what he's trying to do is not a hostile takeover, number one. This is gift wrapped with a bow from their largest investor, number one. This is gift wrapped. The huge gift wrap on this, they're not going to get a better offer. They might try to milk him for more money, but keep in mind, there's also going to be debt involved with this too. So he's going to have to take on the debt and he said that he will. What it is, is a liberation. This is a liberation of Twitter for freedom of speech. And the powers that be, the regime, this is a shot across the bow. It may even be, as Darren Beatty says, a declaration of war against them. Because in the narrative space, Twitter is the public square of the global forum. 
And as the public square of the global forum, that's the place where you can go for actual, honest, and true debate. And that's what myself and Mike Cernovich were talking about all the way back on March 26 in a tweet thread when Elon Musk responded. Cernovich was tweeting at him saying, look at all the double standards, look at all the smears and the falsehoods that Twitter lets run, whether it be the Covington kids, whether it be Jesse Smollett, all those smears run, but conservatives get censored. And then Elon Musk said, seems a little double-sided. I responded, buy Twitter and take it private. Now, another bit of insight on this, right? Because I said I would give you guys the insight. Jack Dorsey had talked about this. There were rumors about Jack Dorsey behind the scenes when he came back on. Remember, he left the CEO um, in the mid-2000s, comes back at the end of 2015. And there were rumors that Dorsey wanted to take it private again, kind of like a Frankenstein's monster situation. But he wasn't able to do so. Now, Elon, who's friends with Jack Dorsey, comes in. And remember, I told you a name yesterday, Alex Spiro. I said, when Alex Spiro is involved in something, you don't bring in the heavy hitters. You don't bring in the pipe hitter like Alex Spiro if you're not serious. That's how I knew. And we told you yesterday on the show. We called the shot. We said, Alex Spiro plays to win. And the management at Twitter totally screwed this up because of the way they treated Elon Musk when he talked about getting just this 9% of the company. First, they start putting out all these restrictions on him. They tell him that he can only own up to 15%. They want him to take a uh, background check and something, I don't believe it's been reported anywhere yet. They actually told him as one of the stipulations, he couldn't tweet about Twitter. Obviously, that's going to be a hard no for Elon. That's a poison pill. So all of that, and then also saying that former President of the United States Donald J. Trump would not be allowed back on Twitter unequivocally, that forced his hand because he wanted to have a conversation about this. And if you read Elon's letter, which we posted on Twitter and Getter and everywhere else this morning, he said, Twitter has extraordinary potential and I will unlock it. However, I do not have confidence in management, nor do I believe I can drive the necessary change in the public market. And as such, if the deal doesn't work, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. What's he saying? He's saying, take the stock or I'm go or take the deal or I'm going to tank the stock. So it's gift wrapped with a little bow. But make no mistake, if he pulls out, Twitter's stock will crumble. Your move, globalists. Last weekend, I was out in Nebraska, and the one thing that they were talking all about there was food shortages. We've got the war in Ukraine, the breadbasket of Europe. We've got a drought condition in Nebraska in the breadbasket of the United States. You have to understand what we're looking at now is very likely to cause food shortages nationwide. And that is why you need to go to the special website right now, preparewithposo.com. That is why you will find a generous offer from My Patriot Supply. As you may know, they are the nation's largest preparedness company with over 50,000 four-star and five-star reviews from customers who love their food. Go to preparewithposo.com right now and you will save $150 on their amazing three-month emergency food kit. 
This kit provides breakfast, lunches, dinners, snacks, totaling over 2,000 calories a day for energy during stressful times. Make sure to get one kit for each person in your family. Again, go to preparewithposo.com and get $150 off the food you're gonna need in the very near future. With food shortages making headlines, you really need to grab this emergency food now from My Patriot Supply as a backup for your family's survival. Go to preparewithposo.com today, preparewithposo.com. Hi, how are you? What is your name? I'm good. My name is Zach. I was uh, working inside the store and I was doing security cameras inside. And I see the guy, he walking from the screen. I see him from the cameras. So I thought, oh, this guy, let me call the police. And I call him and we catch him. Zach, you are a hero. Thank you so much. No problem. We, we thank try you. to like, make the people safe always because the people is nice. Yeah, the life is nice, you know? Thank you, Zach. So the suspect has been captured. By the way, I love this guy, Zach, right? How can you not love this guy? A proud New Yorker, living his best life. We saw him, we caught him, and we're still trying to kind of understand exactly what the timeline is on this because we're also hearing reports, and the New York Post has it as well, that the suspect himself in the subway attack called the police his own from a McDonald's in the East Village and then said that he was waiting for them. His phone was about to run out of battery. They need to come. They find him walking around. So, so we think what it looks like to me is that he called Crime Stoppers, calls the police line, turns himself in, essentially, then is walking around on the street. Then this guy, Zach, finds him. So uh, obviously, when you're talking about this suspect, Frank R. James, not somebody who's in his right mind. You know, not when you're asking, why would you do stuff like this? Not somebody in his right mind. Obviously, we can tell from more serious notes, you know, looking at what he did or what he's accused of doing, of course, alleged, 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 caveat, caveat, caveat. It's horrific and clearly not someone in their right mind. Um, YouTube has taken down his page that we were talking about yesterday, and he is going to be charged with terrorism. From the New York Post, police say James detonated smoke grenades before firing 33 shots on the Manhattan-bound N-train. Police found a hatchet, three ammunition magazines, fireworks and gasoline, and it is a miracle that no one is killed. Whatever his psychiatric issues, James sounds very much like other ideological, fixated, identity-obsessed killers who have observed, who have emerged since the BLM Antifa racial movement of 2020 and the hate speech it unleashed. And as you can see uh, through his rhetoric, um, clearly appears to be someone who believes in the black nationalist movement, um, clearly someone who's using hate speech against uh, white people, Jewish people, all sorts of people that he believes are responsible for uh, what he views as oppression in society and conducted this act, it seems to be, motivated by that racial animus. Um, I believe the FBI's official term for this is black identity extremist. And the mainstream media has said that black identity extremists don't exist. Well, I actually remember last year, about one year ago, a Capitol Police officer was murdered by a black identity extremist who was a follower of Louis Farrakhan. The officer's name was Billy Evans. And yet, and it happened right here, right down the street from where I'm sitting at the U.S. Capitol building. And yet there was no big one-year commemoration for him the way there was for January 6th. We barely even talk about it. He is the only Capitol Police officer to be murdered in the past 20 years. I looked this up. The only one. 
And yet you don't hear about Billy Evans, who was killed by a black identity extremist. Who you hear about are the people on January 6th. So going back to this guy, uh, this Frank R. James. We need to understand, we absolutely need to understand why it is in this country that we're not focused on all of these things. Because as I said before, the FBI had him on their radar. The FBI knew about this guy and they cleared him. This is also a great example of someone, by the way, that I think would be a perfect candidate for a 5150. And if you don't know what a 5150 is, that's an involuntary commitment. That's an involuntary hold in a mental institution or a psychiatric wing of a hospital, right? This is clearly somebody who's got mental issues. This is clearly somebody who ought to be locked up and get the care that he needs. But we don't do that anymore because we systematically dismantled the public mental health system in this country. We let these people roam around free. We know there's problems. He was on law enforcement's radar. Another success for the FBI, right? When I was in the intelligence community, I thought we were just going to go in there and get bad guys. But then I learned there was a little thing called politics. And so here I am, right? That's not what they do. There is no A team out there. It's not Jack Bauer and CTU or any of this stuff. It doesn't exist. Hate to say it, folks. It doesn't exist. And the FBI would be more likely to frame a bunch of guys up in Michigan, up in the woods in Michigan, of a fake plot to go get the, the uh, governor up there than they would be to stop an attack like this. And thank God, thank God, and it is a miracle, I agree with the New York Post, it is a miracle that no one was killed. But again, this isn't something where they're going to turn around and say, oh, this isn't the fault of the guy who pulled the trigger. This isn't the fault of the criminal. This isn't the fault of the mental health system or the broken mental health system in this country. No, 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 no. This is the fault of all law-abiding gun owners in this country. When we've already seen that the vast majority of gun owners do not commit mass shootings. There's simply no data for it whatsoever. Whatsoever. And you're going to see more incidents like this until we get the mental health situation in this country fixed. I want to tell you about the secret life of Jonathan Darby. This is from Newsweek.com. Every morning at 10 a.m., Jonathan Darby embarks on his weekly rounds of mail call. But Darby is not his real name. It's also not the fake name on his Missouri driver's license that he used to conduct his work. And the government car he drives, one of a fleet of over 200,000 federal vehicles owned by the General Services Administration, is also not registered in his real or his fake name. And nor are his magnetically attached Maryland state license plates really for his car, nor are they traceable back to him or his organization. Where Darby works and the locations he visits are also classified. Darby is retired from the Army, and he asked that neither his real nor his cover name be used. He served 20 years in counterintelligence, including two African assignments where he was operated in a low profile in Ethiopia and Sudan, masquerading as an expat businessman. Now he works for a Maryland-based signature reduction contractor that he asked Newsweek not to identify. As Darby makes his rounds to 40 or so post offices and storefront mailboxes in the DC metropolitan area, he picks up a trunk full of letters and packages, mailing a similar number from rural addresses. Back at the office, he sorts through the take, delivering bills to the finance people and processing dozens of personal and business letters mailed from scores of overseas locations. What he's doing, what he's doing, 
is keeping up what's called the cover acquisition management system, a super secret register of false identities where clandestine operators around the, around the world for the United States government are used. False identities traveling overseas, they alter databases of U.S. Customs and Immigration forms to ensure that those performing these activities can return to the United States unmolested. The U.S. Department of Defense, according to Newsweek and the U.S. military writ large, has a force of over 600,000 people belonging to a secret army. They use something. Now, uh, this is something where Newsweek gets it wrong. They call the name of the program Signature Reduction. Signature Reduction actually is the, the term that they use. This is a special access program, also known as a SAP. And a lot of SAPs have, uh, you know, different and colorful names and different things. Um, but what they do is they travel overseas. Some of these names, uh, you, you know, you might see them like Hurricane Fan, Island Hopper, Peanut Chocolate, right? Um, or, but the actual terms of the offices would be Defense Program Support Activity, Joint Field Support Center. The word support always seems to be in there. Special Programs Office. What you need to understand about this is that Newsweek is able to uncover a little bit about what our U.S. Human, human intelligence collection force is able to do around the world. I'm talking wigs, fake uh, hands, fake fingertips that are made synthetic up there so that you're not leaving fingerprints or if, that, if you have to use a scanner, you can use that, fake IDs, all of this is being done. And so while obviously this is something that we want our federal government to be doing, we want intelligence on our adversaries. But at the same time, we need to make sure that that intelligence and these operations are actually getting to the lawmakers. And something that I learned when I was in the intelligence community is that so often the intelligence that's collected in the field in the raw, before, before it gets closer and closer to the president, to the White House, to the Pentagon, it gets siloed and it gets politicized. It becomes more political the closer it gets to DC. So we support these people. We hope that they're safe. We know that they're out there putting themselves in harm's way, but at the same time, you have to fix intelligence in this country because the process of what they're collecting and what our leaders are hearing is broken. Just after 2.33 p.m., police officers allow five individuals to exit the Capitol through the Upper West Terrace doors. At 2.34 p.m., a gentleman holding an American flag catches the door just as the last protester leaves. At the same time at 2.34 p.m., a gentleman with a red cap approaches the interior doors. As the police officer notices him, he continues to approach. The police officer holds the door for the protester as he enters the Capitol undeterred. At 2.35 p.m., a large group enters the interior of the Capitol, police standing at the doors. As a steady stream of protesters enter through the Upper West Terrace doors, at 2.36.54, the police allow the crowd to pass. At 2.38 p.m., a woman with a sock hat and a camera with a sound recording device attached to it films police as they allow people to enter. Well, that's an incredible video that was just released, obtained exclusively by the Gateway Pundit that they've shared out now and we're watching. And we've, saw, we've seen recently, and this is why it's relevant, that a case just uh, ended just concluded here in Washington, D.C., where one of the accused January 6th insurrectionists was actually found not guilty, was exonerated and acquitted because of the simple fact 
that Capitol Police officers allowed them into the building. That's actually what the judge ruled. It was a bench trial. Now we've got a new breaking court filing from justthenews.com. Let's see what's coming out here. Court filing states 20 federal assets were embedded at the Capitol on January 6. The claim arrives in the form of a footnote in a 41-page motion to dismiss charges against members of the Oath Keepers militia. An attorney for a January 6 defendant says in a recent court filing that at least 20 FBI and Bureau of ATF assets were embedded around the Capitol on the day of the riot. This attorney, David Fisher, is seeking a dismissal of charges of seditious conspiracy and obstruction charges against nearly a dozen members of the Oath Keepers and his client, Thomas Caldwell. Uh, the motion was filed before U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta in Washington, D.C., according to the Epoch Times. So let's go through this because our focus is uh, obviously on the merits of the case, but also what are they talking about when it comes to FBI and ATF assets? It says, at least 20 FBI and ATF assets were embedded around the Capitol on January 6th. The motion also states that the attorneys combed through mountains of discovery, including summaries of interviews conducted by FBI agents and that members of the Oath Keepers, a far-right militia group, were being monitored and recorded prior to January 6th. Attorney Fisher writes that despite carefully inspecting a significant amount of evidence during discovery, he has not found one iota of proof that the defendant's pre-planner had any intention, design, or scheme to specifically enter the Capitol building on January 6th. And so... That's where it comes down to us. We were just talking about the intelligence community in the last segment. We're going to talk about him again here because we want to know. This obviously has been part of the contention out there. If you've been following Revolver News, you've seen this. Uh, there's the whole the Darren Beatty and Tucker Carlson documentary on this. Was there a role of federal assets and federal agents in January 6th? We know, obviously, that they had assets embedded or at least informants um, in the Oath Keepers and some of these other militias that were involved in the events of January 6th, some of the people obviously have been agitated. And the one thing that I said myself when I was reporting there at the time for One American News, I saw people, one guy specifically in a green poncho with a hat, urging the crowd, agitating the crowd. You need to come in, come forward, right? And you've got people that had shown up for the peaceful rally with the president all the way down at the Oval, just kind of standing around waving flags, not understanding what's going on. And so you have this mainstream media narrative out there about January 6th, but then when you actually dig through the details, when you look at the video the Gateway Pundit posted, when you look at the court filings like this, it really starts to paint a different picture. And when it comes to the system of justice in this country, right, going all the way back to the Boston Massacre, so many times, we hear these statements. The first thing we hear is the loudest thing we hear. But then when we start digging into the story, we find the devil is in the details and we find that the actual events that took place were different than what we had been initially told. And the way that the mainstream media and the corporate media have acted in this country over the past six years, I think that we should always have a healthy dose of skepticism for them. And that's what Human Events Daily is all about. Well, that's all the time we have today. Human Events Daily, remember our promise, our oath, our solemn vow to you. Be good, be brief, be gone. Your homework for us. Share this out with one, just one of your normie friends and leave us your five-star review. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. What do we talk about today? Elon Musk, the biggest news. 
offering to buy Twitter and take it private. We know that they are going to go after Tesla. They're going to go after SpaceX as a way to respond to this. The regime cannot have it. Next, we talked about the New York subway attack suspect, Frank James, calling himself in. Third, we got into the military's secret undercover army. And finally, we touched on the new motions coming up in federal court over the January 6 cases. Before we go, it's time for today's moment of history. Today on this day, 1865, Abraham Lincoln shot by John Wilkes Booth in Ford's Theater. That's why I always say, ladies and gentlemen, do not trust actors. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.